Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. I'm your life coach, Jessica Dumas. I'm a professional speaker and coach who empowers women everywhere to use their voice to take up space and change the world. My goal is to help you speak with clarity and confidence while giving you practical guidance and tools by sharing real life experiences of overcoming. So turn up the volume and grab a pen. You're gonna wanna write this down. Welcome to the Confidence and Communication Podcast. Today I have a very special friend with me and her name is Jill Featherstone. I'm gonna tell you about Jill and then we're gonna have amazing conversation because we always do. Jill Featherstone is a mother of five and a stepmom to three. She's a wife, a grandmother, a university professor, an author, entrepreneur, and a proud member of Mississippi Cree Nation in Northern Manitoba. For the first half of her career, Jill taught grade school. She was a guidance counselor and an acting principal. Then in 2011, after obtaining her master's degree in guidance and counseling, Jill went on to become a university professor teaching in the Bachelor of Education program for University College of the North in Northern Manitoba. She's been named Brandon University's Outstanding Young Alumni, Manitoba's Aboriginal Educator of the Month, CBC Manitoba's Future 40 Under 40, and has spoken at events for Indigenous people all over the world, notably in places such as Hawaii, Arizona, and across Canada's prairie provinces. In 2013, she began writing her novel, The Tale of Tiger Lily, inspired by the character created by J.M. Barry's 1929 play, Peter Pan. In Jill's rendition, she takes us back in time into the world of the fictitious Piccaninny tribe and into the mind of young Tiger Lily as she becomes of age. In this relatable story, Jill blends cultural renaissance with a classic tale and boldly rewrites an age-old narrative. Jill is also the founder of Featherstone Support Services, a business which provides motivational workshops for Indigenous youth and young adults. She has traveled extensively throughout the North, helping Indigenous youth and young adults find the motivation, courage, and confidence to further their education or enter the workforce. To date, she's worked with over 1,000 youth. Are you sure? I feel like that number is probably bigger. Over yeah, 1,000. Typo. That should be maybe <laughs> 5,000, I think. Youth and trained over 200, again, probably a higher number, service providers in her signature workshop, Awaken the Spirit. Jill is deeply committed to helping Indigenous young people uncover their strengths and build their confidence so that they can proudly write their own narrative. Wow. You know what? I probably read that in the past at some point, but holy shit. Like you're pretty cool. <laughs> Thank you. I was like listening to that and I'm thinking, who is this woman that you're talking about? Isn't that funny? Isn't that funny? Yeah, like it is, it is funny when you see, when you hear it kind of like read out to you. Like that. Yeah. Yeah. And you know what? That's like, I kind of love and hate biographies, like, mm-hmm. especially like when yours is being read out. But when I graduated high school, I wanted to be a guidance counselor. And I thought about being a principal, (laughs) but I didn't want to go back to school. (laughs) You did. (laughs) Wow. The thing is, I didn't want to be any of those. And that's funny, but here I am. So how how did you become those? What do you mean you didn't want to? Okay. So this is what I wanted to be was I wanted to be a child psychologist because I just had such a troubled teen years. I suffered through depression when I was a teenager. 
And, you know, I just, I had people in my life that helped me through those times. So, you know, when I came out of all of that, I wanted to help young people. And that's basically, I held on to that idea of wanting to help young people. And I became a teacher because when you graduate high school and everybody's like pushing you to pick a career or, you know, pick something in school, when you're a young woman, it's usually like teacher or nurse, you know, they kind of push you in those directions. So there was no way I was going to become a nurse because I I'm bad at science. So I was like, okay, well, I guess I'm going to go be a teacher. And that's what I did. And the thing is wow. like, I don't know why I became a teacher. I, I didn't like school. Yeah. You know, I really, I really didn't like school when I was growing up. I just had yeah. such horrible experiences and it wasn't, you know, from the teachers, but it was like the horrible experiences in school because I was bullied. Yeah. Um, yeah. Just so much racism when I was growing up. And so in school around grade seven and eight was my turning point because I was bullied so much that I kind of flipped the switch around that time and I became the bully. So I kind of adopted this mentality, like I'm going to bully you before you can bully me. Mm. So then all of a sudden I became a fighter, started fighting in school, got myself kicked out of every school in the town that I was living in, Mm -hmm. even to the point where they put a restraining order against me and I couldn't come within 150 feet of the school property. Wow. And yeah. And then, so for me to become a teacher, you know, when it just school in me didn't mix. Mm-hmm. It's like really, it's it's really funny. <laughs> it is. It is funny. Yeah, so and and now then, I'm a university professor, which is like, yeah. What? But I guess you know, in the long run, when you think about it, it's like I needed these skills and mm-hmm. I needed to be able to help young people. So I needed to be able to learn how to connect, you know, with troubled kids. And I had experience with troubled kids because I was a troubled kid. So I was able to see what was I missing, Mm -hmm. you know? And then when I became a teacher, I could give young people what, Mm -hmm. what I was missing. This conversation, it kind of reminds me of the conversation that I had with Sherry McKay, the the TikTok badass. And like some of the stuff that she talked about was like trouble growing up and, and, and it's like you have this challenge and then all of a sudden look at you, like, look what you're doing. Yeah. So that's incredible. And I think like, and this might sound wrong, but I'll explain myself. But anytime I see like indigenous people with a master's degree, I'm just like, fuck. Yeah. You know, like when I was graduating high school, I mean, of course I had my first son really young. Well, I say really young, but I mean, I could have been done high school by the time I was 19, like my life could have been totally different. Right. If, if it weren't based on the structures that were brought up in, right. Like me having a baby at 19, it was just what we did. It wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't a mistake. Everybody was fucking doing it. (laughs) Me too. I was in high school, pregnant, the pregnant high school, but I was also 18 because I didn't finish high school right away either. (laughs) Yeah. And so no one ever asked me, are you going to go to university? Like we never had those conversations. So when I see people who have, I'm just like, wow, like, how did you do that? Like, I think about my experience and I mean, I suppose it could have been possible, but I just did not see myself in university or educated. It just wasn't me. Funny that, you know, because I chased all of these degrees and stuff, but for the wrong reason, Mm -hmm. I didn't chase them because, you know, I wanted a master's degree or I wanted this. 
I chased them because I was like thinking I had in my mind in order to be heard, Mm -hmm. I needed letters behind my name. I needed degrees in order for me to feel important or to be seen as important. When I walked into a room, I had to have degrees. So that's why I chased those degrees. I believe it. It makes total sense. It's like, because we are indigenous women, women of color, like we're not, I don't, I don't, I don't know. Like, I mean, sometimes like I'll have conversations with uh, white women who, you know, their lives are just so different. And, you know, when you hear silver spoon on a platter, like they were given a silver spoon or what, I don't even know what the hell the phrase is. Some women actually grow up that way. And it's just like, blows my mind. I'm like, I don't understand your world. And I don't always say that. And sometimes I do to just let people know, like, we're not the same, like you're doing amazing things and that's incredible, but you have no idea what I had to overcome based on the message that was given to me. Yes. I think that's why I'm so drawn to stories of overcoming. And that's, I guess, probably why, like, I just love your podcast because you know, you, your podcast tagline is like stories. I'm going to share stories of overcoming. Mm-hmm. you know so yeah I know that's cool so how did you go from being like a university professor or a school principal I never I don't think I remember hearing <laughs> that before to like doing your your own workshops like where did this workshop come from awaken the spirit when did you start I guess I'll tell you what the workshop is first so the workshop it's it's awaken the spirit it's like it's a motivational workshop but I blend, it's not just a motivational workshop, but I blend education and I've done a ton of research, just a bunch of stuff that I've, I've kind of pulled together, but it's, um, it's based on a four-part model. So the four-part model is identity, awareness, vision, and resiliency. And so what I did was I just kind of pulled together like everything, all of my research, my education, my experience, and I developed this workshop and, you know, edu- the the first part identity is just like finding out who you are because a lot, you know, that's how we have, we have to always, you know, build this strong foundation, right. About of who we are. And then I move into an awareness piece, which is probably very similar to your indigenous awareness training. I'm, I'm thinking I've never been to your training, but I'm thinking it's, it's similar, but I feel like I've developed a really strong skill set in that area of helping young people learn about generational trauma, residential schools in, in a way that they can really relate because it's so essential. You know, I, I noticed that so many young people, myself included, have this in their mind, like, oh, that's something that happened to those people that have that happened to them a long time ago, you know, and why don't they just get over it and move on? You know, that age old saying, why can't we just get over it and move on? But I have this way of showing people how they're affected, how young people are affected, how it affects us still, how it affects non-Aboriginal people and, you know, why we just can't get over it and move on. So that's a really, really strong piece. So I do that. And then we move into goal setting, which is the vision piece. And then I just have developed these skills on being able to set goals. And because I've done it for myself, you know, I've set some really, really big goals and I've seen them accomplished. So I teach young people how to do that. And then the resiliency piece is how to keep going after we leave, you know, like when they have all of these programs, they feel motivated. They feel like they can do all of this stuff. But when we leave from their lives and we're not there pushing them and encouraging them anymore, Mm -hmm. how do they keep going? How do they keep picking themselves up every time they fall? So that's the workshop. 
So I developed this workshop nine years ago now, back in 2013. And, you know, it was right. I was already a university professor at the time. I was already, you know, living my life. And I just kind of went in this direction because I was, you know how you feel that you, you talked about this, I think on your last podcast is that call, that call Mm -hmm. that's being placed on your life. Mm -hmm. I was just being true to the call. I was answering the call because I always wanted to help young people. That's what I wanted to do, but I didn't become a child psychologist because that meant I would have to move to Winnipeg. I would have to move to the city Mm -hmm. because they didn't have any other child psychology programs. And I I did move to the city as a young person. I did my first year of university there. And it was such, you know, when you come from the North and you move to the city, such a big culture shock. It's so hard. It's so hard coming from a small Northern community and then coming to the city. Mm -hmm. Like I remember my first apartment, I had a mattress on the floor with a TV and a nightstand and that's Mm -hmm. it. You know, I got my first set of furniture from Value Village. I remember driving down Pemina Highway with my dad. And my little love seat went flying off the road onto the ground. <laughs> oh my god! Yeah, my sixty dollar love seat. <laughs> and so, like, I'm there all by myself. And you know, I remember I had a VCR, and I'd like walk to Blockbuster with a friggin' steak knife in my hand, and I'm afraid, wow. like, just yeah. so scared, not knowing mm-hmm. how to use buses you know, going to a class and there's 300 other kids in your class at university. So it was just like really big. And Mm -hmm. so I decided to, like, I took a year off after that. I I didn't even want to go back. Like I love going to the city for a couple of days here and there, but to live there, I couldn't do it. It was really hard. Mm -hmm. And um, so I ended up going to school in a smaller community, like a smaller city, just to to get my education. So I had to take that off the table of becoming a child psychologist because I, Mm. I didn't know how to live in the city. Mm. And um, so I went to Brandon (laughs) university and I became a teacher instead. And then, you know, I was just going through the motions, living life. And that call was still always in the back of my mind. And I wanted to work with young people. So I was like, okay, well maybe I should try get a master's degree in guidance and counseling instead. So Mm. that's, that's what my master's is in, is in guidance and counseling. Because then if I could get some type of counseling degree, Mm -hmm. then I could try help young people. And then when I ended up getting the counseling degree, I ended up becoming a a university professor. And this is funny because like you talked about this in your podcast. I was going to message you, but um, I thought. I love when you do. I love when you message me after you listen to the podcast. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, But I thought since we're having this conversation, I would bring it up now. It's like you were talking about us having this fear of not going for the job that going for the job that we want. So, but we we don't end up doing that Mm -hmm. and we don't end up, you know, trying to apply for the jobs that we want, like psyching ourselves out and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So um, I kind of had it as my end goal to become a university professor one day. I thought like maybe someday when I'm in my fifties, maybe sixties, that's what I'll become. That'll be my end goal way off in the future. So here I was 30 years old and there was a job. And then for a university professor. Yeah. And then I was thinking like, oh, I should just apply. You know, that is yeah. my my dream job. One of these days I should, I should apply. And then, and then I was like, nah, I'll never get it. You know, I had wow. that, you know, like, I'll never get it. <clears throat> but then I did anyway. Like I decided, ah, oh, what the hell? I have nothing to lose. So like, what are they going to say? No. Mm-hmm. And yeah. then life goes on. Right. So I threw my name in the hat and I got an interview and I'm like, okay, I'm um, there taking, they're, they're going to interview me. 
So, and then I went for the job and they offered me the job and I'm like, I didn't even know that I want, like I had to move, you know, five <laughs> hours away and I didn't even know that anything, but like, I knew that that's what I wanted to try wow. do one day. So I took it. Yeah. And I was told later that I wasn't the first person that they decided last minute that they were just the other person fell through and they said, well, maybe we should just give this young lady a chance and, and wow. see what happens. So I got the job like 30, 30 years old and I was a university professor. Wow. And yeah. And I've been, I've been doing that for over 10 years now. Holy smokes. That's so interesting. I love that you went for it anyway. I love that you applied for it anyway, and then just kind of went through the process. And that's like, that's the way the universe works, right? Like whether or not you think you're ready, like everything is going to happen on the timing that the universe says, well, it's time now. Right. And the fact that you weren't being brave (laughs) and the fact that you weren't is from what you learned later, the fact that you weren't the first choice means nothing because the the universe makes everything happen the way it's supposed to happen. Maybe it was a timing thing where the universe was like, well, no, she needs another month or right. Like who knows? Yeah. I was out there doing the, like being a university professor, thinking that I'm living the dream, right? For myself. But then that call, it's still back there, you know, that to work with young people. So what was, what was the call? Like when you first recognized it, even before you were a university professor, what did it feel like? How did you hear it? It was just, I wanted to help people, young people, the way that I was helped. I knew that like, deep within I knew that so did you um, see things that were happening and you just knew I wanted to do that or like what type what type of experiences did you did you have where you know that was the call yeah I would he- I would see things I would see things that people were doing and I'd be thinking well I want to do that too mm-hmm. like I saw women doing workshops and I wanted to do that and then I would get these um images in my mind you know I thought okay well you know, I want to op- open up my own counseling practice. And then I, I want to approach Swampy Cree Tribal Council and see if they can give me a contract. And then I'll go in and I'll work with young people. So I had that I kind of had that in the back of my mind that I wanted to open my own counseling business. And it was so funny, because when I decided that I was going to try doing workshops, they were the first people that took me on. And I had this like full circle moment where I realized, oh my God, I'm sitting at a table in front of Swampy Creek Tribal Council, pitching myself to them and asking if they'll take me on to go and do work with their young people. And I, and I forgot that I had that as a vision for myself. Isn't that amazing? I feel like I've been in that very same position that you just described many times, like coming full circle from that vision, imagining something, and then just going, holy shit, look what's happening. It's almost like a pinch, pinch yourself moment. Yeah. And then when I realized that I realized that midway when I was talking to them and all of a sudden I'm just like crying because, and they don't know why I'm crying (laughs) (laughs) crying because I was like thinking like, oh my God, this is what I wanted for myself so many years ago and it's happening and it's like happening to me right now. But yeah, like I was working as a university professor and it was just I was still feeling that pull to work with young people in a different way. Mm -hmm. And I just had remembered, you know, one of somebody told me one time because I thought that I just wanted to be in in the school system, you know, and somebody's told me like, you have so many things to offer. Why, why would you just want to limit yourself to just one classroom or something like that? 
Mm-hmm. You know, you have to find a way to reach people on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. And then, so I kind of, I hung on to that where um, I needed to try reach people on a larger scale. So I thought being a university professor would allow me to do that because then I would be able to influence teachers and then they would influence different classes, but it wasn't fulfilling something within me. Mm-hmm. So I decided mm-hmm. to try workshops. I heard this lady one time talking about doing workshops and I was like, okay, well, maybe I'll see if I can do a workshop. I had this connection with um, a CFS person. And I, I said, I think I have a lot of skills. Like I have a master's in counseling and I'm a teacher. I think I could probably put together a good workshop. Mm-hmm. Um, can I try something out for you guys? And then she's like, yeah, just submit a proposal and let's see what yeah. we can do. And then I'm, so I'm like, okay, I'll send one right over. So I'm like, get off the phone with her. And I'm like, what the fuck is a proposal? Oh, yeah. <laughs> um, and then, so I Googled it and back then, you know, like 10 years ago, you didn't get as much as no. you would now. No, but I you, can, some... you can fucking copy and paste now. <laughs> like everything's so easy. Right. So I had to Google a proposal and try to figure out what a proposal was. So like I threw together what I thought was a proposal, threw together a budget. I didn't even know how to price anything. I didn't yeah. know what I was going to charge. <laughs> I had no, like, and I didn't have a lot of people that I could call for those types of things so I just kind of I went with my gut got a proposal together and I sent it off and they gave me a workshop and then from and then you know another and another and it just kind of snowballed from there and I started developing I took what worked took out what didn't refined it over the years and so was the road was this the same awaken the spirit workshop Yes. It wasn't always called Awaken the Spirit. I used to have a bunch of different crazy names for it. And um, it became Awaken the Spirit a couple years down the road when I was doing the workshop for um, a group of young people and a lady, one of my friends um, who had hired me, she's like, I really don't like the name of your workshop. (laughs) And it was like, I can't even remember what it was, but it was a bad name. (laughs) (laughs) And then she's like, She's like, can I rename it? And I was like, okay, what would you like to call it? She's like, I want to call it Awaken the Spirit. She said, an elder said to me um, that the problem today is that our young people, with our young people, is that their spirits are sleeping. And then he said, we need to wake them up. And then she said, and I feel like this is what your workshop does. It wakes them up. It wakes up our young people. It wakes up their spirits. So So ever since then workshop has been called awaken the spirit and sometimes I feel like people mistake it for like a cultural workshop but it isn't a cultural workshop it's just it's just a workshop it's kind of designed to come before they go into other workshops it's like it sets the stage it gets them motivated it gets them excited about life it gets them ready to have big dreams and actually go out and chase those dreams that's and that's really what it is. Is all of that what you just said? Is that in the workshop description? No, but <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because that's fucking awesome. You know what? As you're talking, like holy shit, my head is exploding with ideas because I know you. So we and I think we may have shared this on a podcast episode before that we met online, we met on Instagram. And cross paths a few, a few ways that way. Then we did some work together in coaching and then, and now we're friends. So, which is right. really cool. So like when I hear you talking about the workshop and I want to hear more about it, 
but before I ask my next question on it is like, there's so many conferences, the Manitowabi conference. I can't remember the name of. Yeah. Well, I think it's Manitowabi and then there's lighting the fire Manitowabi. There's vision quests, all kinds of vision quests. Have you spoken at vision quest? No. And you know, the thing is, it's because like I was saying to you earlier, I'm really glad that you asked me to talk about my workshop today because I don't talk about it. Yeah. Like I, and I don't know why I don't talk about it more. So a lot of people don't know that I do this. Yeah. No, I, my friend, my family doesn't even know that I do this, you know? Wow. Um, I think one of the reasons like for myself, there was a time like I don't talk about, especially to my like really close friends or family is sometimes because it's, it's like a baby, right? It's like, you're keeping it safe to your heart. You're building it, nurturing it, all of that stuff. And it's scary to, to sometimes say like, Hey, look at my baby because because of judgment and fear and all of that other stuff. But yeah. Okay. So this, and what we've talked about in the past is your book, marketing your book. Like you have so much stuff, like you need to hire like a full-time marketer or something (laughs) because you have so much and your workshop is probably like a huge source of income. Right. And would you say it's the biggest source out of all of the things like besides the university professor? Yes. It's, I actually, uh, yeah, I make more doing my workshops than I do in my, in my day job. And, you know, it's funny. It's because the most beautiful thing about it is I never set out to do the workshops to make money. I set out to do the workshops because it fed that part of my soul to help. Which is what you're totally meant to do. Right. Right. Yeah. And then what happened is like, you know, I would have an impact on uh, this group of young people. And then, you know, somebody would share my, my contact info with another community and then another. So basically my business has grown by word of mouth and Mm -hmm. it's just people telling people, Hey, you got to get this girl into your community because I've been able to help even cut down the the numbers of young people on welfare, you know, by going through my workshop. Oh my God. Like I, and then every time I hear you talk about these things, I'm like, how is this not bigger? Like, (laughs) I don't, I think it's me because I don't have a marketing person, but so like what ended up happening is around 2018, I was getting a lot of calls, you know, to come to different communities and I felt like, you know, okay, well, I have a job and I have my kids at home and then I'm trying to go to at least two communities a month. And I was, my time was being stretched so thin and I was spending so much time away from my family and my home and my kids. I felt like everything was getting neglected at home. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to, and somebody just said, well, would you consider doing a train the trainer mm-hmm. and would you train people to do your workshop? And then I was like, for sure. Like I never thought of that. Mm-hmm. So I developed a train the trainer program where community service workers would just come and take the program with me. I spend two and a half days teaching them how to do my program. And then I just basically I hand it over to them. And then it now it's yours. Mm -hmm. Now you can go back to your community and offer these workshops in the community to your young people, like as over and over again, as often as they need them. So what type of success are you seeing coming from the train the trainer? So the train the trainer is, well, definitely financial. And I didn't even know about this until I did my taxes this year. Cause I don't keep track of, I'm so horrible. I keep doing like keeping track of money. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I, and this is a whole other conversation we can get into later uh, at some point, but because I don't know how to have money because I've never had money. Mm-hmm. I didn't grow up having money. I don't have a really clear concept of what it feels like to have money or how to spend money. But so what I found after this year of doing my taxes is that I am running a multi six figure business. That's fucking incredible. <laughs> I love it. And I didn't even know. And when I seen that number and I was like, what the hell? And then, but another thing was, is like, where the hell did it go? <laughs> and, and that's a thing. Like one of these days we need to have this conversation yeah. about money. It's because I didn't know, I don't know, like I didn't ever have money growing up. Mm -hmm. So I wasn't taught how to spend money properly, how to save money properly, where money needs to go. Yeah, you know, so it's just like, okay, I get this pot of money. And it's just like, Oh, let's go buy these (laughs) three pairs of moccasins when I walked into the store the other day. That's how I have them in all different colors. (laughs) (laughs) So and, and you and I've had like smaller conversations about money kind of coming and going. And I feel like, like everything that you just said, right. Same for me, not brought up with all of that stuff, but also the mindset, right. The mindset of money, which I recognize is so huge. And I feel like if you and I were one person with <laughs> the, the, uh, with the income, but also the mindset of it, then I'm still working at it. But I know that I've grown so much in my money mindset in the last few years, and I'm so happy about it. Yeah, that'd be fucking killer. (laughs) Yeah. So like the financial piece has been really amazing. But it's also like, um, when I do train the trainers, you know, people, people, people do the math in their head when they see that. And um, they'll be like, well, how come you don't have 50 people at your workshop or a hundred people at your workshop. And then, cause I limit my numbers. I try to keep it under 25. Lately, I've been having smaller numbers around like 12 or 15 people come to my workshops. Mm-hmm. And the reason I do this is because it's so intimate. You know, we just, we connect, we have amazing experiences and I feel like I'm not only helping them to change the lives of their young people, but I'm helping them change their own lives. Right. And yeah. that feeling in itself, that's mm-hmm. the most rewarding feeling. That's the feeling that I hang on to. And that's the feeling that keeps me going. Like, that's why I did the workshops in the first place. It was never about the money. The yeah. money is something that came after unexpectedly. And I'm kind of learning how to deal with all of that right now. But it's mm-hmm. like just hanging on to that that feeling of being able to help people. Yeah. That's what, that's I, I know that's what I'm supposed to do. I love it. I think that's incredible. So what do you think that you'd like to see for the future of the workshops? What I would like to see is I would like to have big youth conferences, like the kind, you know, like vision quest, or I would like to have my own awaken the spirit youth conference where I bring young people in from, all over different communities gather in a big place and maybe one in the North, one in the South, all different provinces and just start educating more and more people and have more and more people, you know, doing the workshops, um, helping their young people and empowering people. And I not only want to do workshops for the young people, but I also want to do workshops for entrepreneurs because like at the end of the day, I'm just a regular girl chasing my chasing my dreams 
Mm-hmm. And sometimes I laugh at myself because I don't even know how the hell I did it or how I'm doing it mm-hmm. because half of the time I'm sitting in front of the TV watching Netflix. <laughs> you know? Oh my God. Talk stuff. about real. Talk about real. You know what? And I know like we could totally have a whole conversation about manifesting and believing and we should probably just like book a time and just do that. Cause I find it's hard for us to stick to one topic, right? Like there's you and I will chat and it's just like, we just want to go off on all these areas. So for the workshop, who are ideal participants when it comes to the train, the trainer? Um, I I, like people that benefit, I think the most or that attend the most are um, social assistants or so um, income assistance workers, child and family service workers, Jordan's principal, uh, guidance counselors, teachers, anybody that works with young adults or mm-hmm. adolescents. Because I really find that that's the age that we don't have a lot of services for. It's like yeah. we have a lot of services for the, like the young ones, but you know, the ones that are aging out of the system, mm-hmm. like we don't have a lot of services put in place for them. So it's people that work in that area. Like I've, I've had people in the workshop as old as, um, in the like 55 come through the workshop and I've had participants as young as 11. Mm-hmm. So what, when I do like, cause I still go out into the community and I still do the workshop. Like I'm not going to step away from that. So I'm going to be heading up North in two weeks and I'm going to go do a, a workshop with young people for Jordan's mm-hmm. principal. I've, I did a virtual workshop for a WASIS agency week, a week long. Um, I'll, I'm going to be traveling to Onion Lake in, and that's in Alberta or Saskatchewan mm-hmm. to go work with some young adults over there. So I still make sure that I take the time to work with the youth mm-hmm. and not just doing train the trainers. Like I, mm-hmm. I don't want to move away from that yeah. completely because I think it's so important. Wow. I'm just like, I'm blown away. I mean, I've heard about the workshop before, so I was familiar with it. And hearing you talk about how this program is setting the stage for youth to look at identity, vision, when they start to think about like, what are they going to do for their the rest of their life or the next step of their life? But the other thing that you just said was providing a service for kids growing out of the system, like the CFS system, like that's fucking huge because that's such a major problem. And when I hear you talk about this, I'm just like, oh my God, this is so powerful What I would love to see, because I know you and as a facilitator, and I don't have as many workshops as you have. So you're out there like three, four days. How many days is the workshop? Did you lose me? Um, Anywhere from three to five. Yeah. So it's a long, like it's a big investment. I know how much energy goes into that. Plus I know like when you're doing work from the heart, it's not just like being on the floor. It's like 100% you're there. <laughs> I'm like crawling into bed sometimes <laughs> like in nine o'clock crawling into bed, aching from head to toe, like digging around for Tylenol because my body is aching. Yeah. So yeah, like, at the end of the day, like growing a team of the trainers, like hiring the, the trainers that you're training and growing a team and like getting this out there. And I have no hesitation that it's, top top quality for anybody that's listening like definitely check out the workshop check out her book 
The Tale of Tiger Lily because it's such an exciting book. Testimonies for both your book and for your workshop. I hope you're collecting those and sharing those. But like, oh my God, this is really good. This is really Yeah, I have like on my, um, it's a, on my work, my website is featherstonesupportservices.com. Like I have a photo gallery and testimonials page where you can read about what other people that have come to take the train, the trainer that have said, and the experience that they had while being there. And it's only a two and a half day training, but you know, some people have had these like life-changing experiences um, during that training. And it's, it's really, really powerful. Like my husband, he would be like, oh, how did the training go? And I'd be like, oh my God, it was so powerful. And then he's like, what does that even mean? (laughs) (laughs) You always say that. You always say that. But I was like, you have to experience it. It's just, that's the only way I can describe to describe it. Yeah. It's like a really powerful feeling. And it's also on my other website, um, jillfeatherstone.com. Like there's also like a link to my workshops on that page as well. Mm Mm-hmm. Incredible. Yeah. Well, congratulations on all the success in your work. This is, it's just incredible and exciting. And you're just getting started. You think? You think I I've do. been doing this for eight, ten, nine years, but I know like, what you mean. I've been doing my business for like seven, going on eight years, and I still feel like I'm just starting. Yeah. It's like so, and you know what? I'm just what I was saying to myself the other day is. I'm thankful for my energy that I still have the energy to get out there and like pound the pavement for, for my workshops that I yeah. still have the energy to go into the communities and do the work with the young people. So it's because yeah, it's what and you're you know, meant to I'm, do. I'm hoping like my bigger, my ultimate goal um, for myself is that I want to be able to finish writing more books. I want to see the tale of tiger lily made into a movie and then if, if, and when that happens, when that happens, I can retire from my day job and then I can just hit the road doing Awaken the Spirit full time. Oh you know, I can God. travel all over the North and just go into, to work with people mm-hmm. and, you know, I could do it and I won't have to worry about the financial part because mm-hmm. then I could just go and do the work for free. Cause you know, when, when you're really passionate about something, you, you, you would even do it for free. Yeah. So like, that's, that's my, like, you know, big, big goals. Mm -hmm. Or if we're getting really technical, I want to turn my program into curriculum and get it into the schools. And that would be a way to hit everybody Mm -hmm. on a larger scale. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. But again, like when we were talking in the beginning, it's just like, um, I don't talk about it enough. A lot of people don't know that I'm doing this work or they don't Mm -hmm. know that I even exist or that this is even happening, but I don't know why I don't share it in on social media. I think I, I am, a, uh, I don't like the negative stuff that people just reading it for the first time and thinking like, um, and putting any negative stuff on it. Like, so I've been just, I rely on word of mouth mm-hmm. really to grow my audience. And it's, and it has grown. Like I've gone into four different provinces now to do train the trainer programs and it's grown basically by word of mouth. It's like, you know, somebody will tell their friends and other people that they work with, and then they'll, they'll sign on to come. Wow. Awesome. Okay. So we have your uh, website, which website should people go to? Featherstonesupportservices.com. 
And then okay. there's also my personal website with which is jillfeatherstone.com. And then you can find like my book there and my workshops and stuff there. Excellent. Well, thank you for sharing all of this with me today. Thank you. It was fun. Yay. All right. See you in the next episode. Thank you so much for listening. Miigwech, egose, merci. Please don't leave without hearing me tell you that you are worthy and your time is worthy, which is why I'm so happy you chose to listen to this podcast. If there was something in this message that resonated with you, please take a screenshot and share it on your Instagram story and tag me at jessicadumas01. Because if you found this helpful, your friends and your cousins will want to know about it. Until next time, decide you are worthy of what you want and go get it.